Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 509 on Tuesday, the 17th of January, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be knocked down with a feather thanks to some stories, twice. We say goodbye to a part of the show, and we are reminded the car business is a global one. First, though, we have a couple of follow-up stories. Well, actually, probably... No, yeah, it's two two at the moment uh, the first one is to do with dr greg marsden if you remember before christmas he won his freedom of information request for against the department for transport we talked about it a couple of weeks ago with alex oh, okay you did yes you did as well then yeah so you don't need to give quite as big a recap sorry what has happened which i will now say is all down to alex and you discussing it is the department for transport went you know what we're not going to win this Let's give him the information, and they have. They have supplied the inf- the answer to the three questions he put forward. There are a couple of links in the show notes. First is Greg Marsden's own uh, tweet confirming it, mm-hmm. but also there is guidance from the, the gov.uk website, which actually answers it and has the information and charts and all the rest of it. Off the back of the publication of this, there's been a bit of misunderstanding in some reporting. We had quite a few articles saying, AVs are going to clog all the roads, panic! By people, mostly, who cannot read charts. That's quite a lot of people, actually. You're not narrowing it down much there. What they are picking up on is the fact that the uh, experts that help advise the government said, here is the low ambition, the medium ambition, and the high ambition, and Mm -hmm. what there are various categories for each of those um, that they're looking at. And what people have taken on board has gone and looked at the most hugely optimistic possible, slightly realistic version that there could be, which mean that there would be a lot of autonomous vehicles on the roads, Mm -hmm. but that would add to something like 30-odd percent vehicles on the road therefore harming congestion making it worse that is a somewhat optimistic target but it's good to at least be considering these yeah, things yeah, as you must do you have this gives me a bit of a bit of hope that someone is asking a lot of questions on a topic and they've not just done level one thinking uh-huh. however when we look at the what they've used we have to understand what the charts mean what is being looked at, how it is being considered Mm -hmm. and why. And in this case, it's completely irrelevant on a number of factors. One, there is not going to be mass adoption of autonomous vehicles because there won't be any in this country. Yes. (laughs) That's that's the first really quite important part of all this. Yes. Do these things actually exist yet? No. All righty then. Yeah. And the second is presuming there would still be the same levels of non-autonomous vehicles on the road, mm-hmm. plus these, which is what seems to have happened quite a bit as well. <sighs> Good work, folks. If we could all just understand stuff, that would be helpful for my blood pressure, anyway. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and that's the important thing here: my blood pressure. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Alan, do you want to take us to the northeast, where we were going to be saying something a bit different? Yes, we we were going to be talking about British Vault and British Vault valuations and all sorts of stuff. Uh, And then by the time I woke up this morning, it turned out we weren't going to be talking about that at all. We were going to be talking about uh, British Vault collapsing. 
So they expect the administrators to come in on Thursday. Uh, they've essentially made 300 people redundant in the course of today. They have obviously filed notices to the High Court, etc. Not good. No. There was a new late offer. There have been a number of offers, but then they've all fallen through or they've been rejected or whatever. It's not looking great. Yeah, because that's what was happening last week, wasn't it? This is what we were going to talk about was two bids have been put in to buy up British Vault and save it, but the valuation had dropped from something incredibly large down to 39 million, which was was a a shockingly low valuation compared to how high it was Mm -hmm. last February. It was the massive drop in in all that kind of thing. What a shame. It is a shame, but then when you hear how they've gone about things, like not having a product yet, employing 300 Mm -hmm. incredibly expensive people, not a surprise. Yep. I mean, we're not talking no, arrival, no. mad, but <laughs> they didn't. They didn't have we'll an island in the <laughs> or a, a, a retreat in the uh, Caribbean to go and do work from. That's <laughs> not quite well. There. There's a positive out of this story, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. I do. What do you reckon? Just straw poll of us not really knowing much. What do you reckon the chances are that someone else will come along and 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 restart this project but there's the, what what is there to there's only the site there's no product mm, yeah that's true they don't have a product and more importantly the british car industry doesn't have a there is one or mm. maybe two factories and one of them is supplying purely nissan yes yes exactly yeah the british yeah. car industry is absolutely snookered and the government and the industry need to get together and co-invest mm-hmm. several huge battery factories immediately, and they need to start like in the next month or so. Otherwise, we are not going to hit our targets. If only there was a convenient site. If only. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's 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 the agreement, and it'll go through slow government procurement, and it'll never happen. Sorry, I know that sounds overly Andrew, but um, yeah. Let's just see. Let's let's be proven wrong. Yeah, no I'd, I'd like to be wrong. I would like to be very, very wrong on this, but I don't think I will be. In the show notes, there are a couple of articles linking to uh, what we were going to talk about, but also there's one in The Guardian which sort of gives a bit more context on what it actually means to the UK car industry as well. Uh, new news, Andrew. Yes. Talking about misunderstanding stuff, uh, there was an article in Autocar which was headlined, New 64 mile per hour limit and Sunday drive ban could cut emissions, which quite a lot of people and outlets got hold of and got very cross and jumped up and down without understanding where this was coming from. The, The thing is that actually when you read it in isolation like that, it's not that bad. It's just saying this, if you did this, you could. Well, that's it. Which seems pretty flipping blatantly obvious, isn't it? People went off the headlines and reacted to headlines without going through and reading what they're talking about. Now, this is the Parliamentary uh, Environmental Audit Committee, which Mm -hmm. were discussing ways in which to reduce the reliance on oil imports, as well as achieve climate goals that the government has suggested or has mandated that we must hit. Mm Mm-hmm although they haven't given details on that yet. Uh, <laughs> this committee is giving some su- some suggestions, real-world suggestions on how this could be cut with the stuff we have in place now, not 
believing some fantasy technology will turn up and help us. And and some of this is this is pretty sensible. This is what's happened in the past. So you know, sixty four miles an hour speed limit. That's why the fifty five mile an hour speed limit was introduced in the US. Yeah, it was as a result of the oil crisis. That, you know, this kind of thing is not. It, it's not. It's not unprecedented. It's not a massive surprise. I think we've talked about the IEA's plan before, but mm. why it's sixty four mile an hour is because it's a kilometer per hour speed limit and it's just been converted into miles per hour so yeah. that's why that is if anyone's curious but the the 10 point plan to cut oil use i'll just quickly run through it right it's reduce speed limits on highways by at least 10 kilometers per hour make public transport mm-hmm. cheaper incentivize micro mobility walking and cycling car free sundays in large cities mm-hmm. large cities yeah work from home up to three days a week where possible yes large cities Hmm. alternate private car use in large cities, Mm -hmm. urge car sharing and practices that decrease fuel use, Uh promote efficient use of freight trucks and goods delivery, Uh hasten adoption of electric and more efficient vehicles, Uh avoid business travel when alternatives exist, Uh and prefer high speed and night trains to planes where possible. None of that is outrageous in any way. What's wrong with any of that? Sorry, I don't... I don't have a problem with any of that, you know? Whether you personally can do that or want to do those is a different matter. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that is just sensible stuff that that doesn't require any new technology from us, doesn't require us to believe some fantasy tech is going to come along and cure Mm -hmm. all our ills. This is what we can do now with what we have. From that point of view, as a thought piece, it makes a lot of sense, I think. Mm. Carrying on a theme here, <laughs> fuel prices fell nine pence per liter in December, saving a whopping great, according to the RAC, five pounds per tank. But the RAC are saying that it is still far too expensive due to the much lower wholesale costs, which aren't getting passed on. Yeah, well, they're sitting at 147.7 pence per litre at one of the f- supermarkets. That They knocked 10 pence off to bring it down to that. And diesel, uh, they knocked 11.4 pence off to make it £1.70.2 per litre. Yes, that's still quite spicy isn't it the the thing i have with this now we've been this this has been reported almost monthly for many many months is it a year now more than a year yeah possibly yeah man. my my question now is so how are we going to change this mm-hmm. how are we as consumers going to change this unless we stop driving mm-hmm. we have no way to make this change and i don't believe there's enough groundswell agreement Mm-hmm. for people where whereas there are in other parts of society when people are rightly campaigning for a fair wage yes it needs that sort that level of action towards the retailers for them mm-hmm. to address this in any at the minute they don't they go oh yeah we hear you moaning we're just going to carry on but the trouble is that people still need to go about their lives and do their stuff exactly and all these kind of things so you can't just say, actually, you know what? I'm not going to buy any fuel this week. 
you don't go out and buy fuel because you fancy going out and buying fuel. You go out and buy fuel because you need to buy fuel. I haven't just gone for a drive for months. Mm-hmm. You know, if I go out in the car now, it is purely to do something, to get somewhere, to to achieve something and get back home again. It yeah. is, there is There is zero enjoyment driving going on for me at the moment. Every time I'm using the fuel, it is purely because I have to use the fuel. Sometimes mm-hmm. as I could actually walk, but generally it is because I have to use a car. Yeah. And I think that's what with most people. Yes. Even here, it's generally the case for me. Yeah. But I've been banned from mentioning fuel costs as part of this discussion, so I'm just going to shut up about that. Yeah, you're not going to gloat. Uh- so don't, so don't do that. Well, the thing, the big difference is you can say, oh, well, look how much lower they are over here, blah, 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 blah. Look at America, blah, 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 blah. But in actual fact, without the the taxation buffer, as soon as something happens, they go up or they go down. And it can soar. You know, it's significant. Like, I mean, since I moved here, the price has gone down, what, 20% or something? It's a ridiculous mm-hmm. percentage, really. But it could equally spike by 5, 10% tomorrow. Yeah, but because, you look how quickly it happens in the UK as well. Oh, I mean, the spike goes up quickly enough everywhere, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's amazing how slowly it all comes down. I think it's it's pretty, pretty shocking. So. so I'm going to move us on to our second well-blow-me-down article, and that is the news <laughs> that pothole damage to cars is up 34% since 2016. Oh. Sunday was National Pothole Day, everyone. Did you go out and see a pothole? Uh, and i can see why they have created a national pothole day if i get to the end and i'll quote it in a bit the end of the article (laughs) it does but what they're saying that uh, the the claims for damages has gone up but the cost has also increased so the average Mm -hmm. cost to repair up 16 percent now admiral is blaming this on high tech or higher tech vehicles require more Mm -hmm. specialist attention uh, along with an overall rise in the cost of repairs on top of that. The January to March period is usually the worst for pothole-related claims, mm-hmm. and that accounts for uh, just over a third of annual pothole claims. It's, there's snow, there's rain, you can't see the potholes. You know, obviously, yeah. obviously you're more likely to end up in them. Yeah, no, I can totally understand that. I mean, the roads around where I live now are absolutely ridiculous. When you came, they are almost, it was almost billiard smooth in comparison to how they are now. Yeah, some of the bits around here are quite special. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The continued lack of appreciation for infrastructure in both the countries we live in at the minute is, it just beggars belief. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't argue. I've linked to an article in the show notes from the Merchant Research, which is actually useful. If you do find that you've got any damage because of a pothole, they list out the ways in which to make a claim and what you need to put with all that information. This is actually a bit of consumer advice as well, thanks to Merchant Research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Admiral, why why did they make National Pothole Day? Well, they said that... There is an option to claim on your car insurance for damage should you have comprehensive cover. This should be weighed against the cost of your insurance excess along with the effects of any no claims bonus applied. And I think that ties directly into the, oh my word, it is costing us a lot of money to fix these holes. 
yes. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, it's, and I think that that's a pretty fair, I don't know if the statement at the very end is from Motoring Research or from Admiral, but it's worth pointing out cost of your excess and mm-hmm. any no claims bonus and stuff like that. So, yep, it is. It is. But, uh, it's, uh, yeah, no, let's, let's move on so I don't get cross. Why don't you take us to, <laughs> take us to Northamptonshire? Yeah, some Northamptonshire vans. Northamptonshire Police have rolled out its first unmarked mobile enforcement vehicles. Traditionally, the van in question that was photographed first, because I'm I'm aware of it, um, I believe it also was, um, was responsible for me spending a fun afternoon just before, at the very start of the pandemic, uh, learning about um, speeds and being more aware as a result. Traditionally, Northamptonshire's Northamptonshire speed vans were bright yellow and blue. They were quite obvious. They were very clear. Uh, Northamptonshire police, however, are now saying that in actual fact, there's uh, the trouble is that people see those and they change their driving habits as a result of seeing them. And therefore, you know, and as soon as they pass the van, then they keep on going and then they go back to the old habits that they didn't have for half an hour, uh, half a mile even. Uh, between seeing the van and, and and passing the van. Interesting to know how they know that. Yes. Well, what they've done instead is they've taken all the markings off, they've made the vans plain grey, uh, and uh, you won't know that you've been gotten until you've been gotten. Anyway, the, it was the Northamptonshire Police Safer Roads Operation Manager, Matt McConnell, who said, we know that people change their driving behaviour when they see a marked police vehicle. It's easy to criticise this approach as being motivated by ticket numbers or revenue. However, we see all too often the devastating consequences of the loss of a loved one has on those left behind to pick up the pieces. Uh, Northampton Police, by the way, is very keen to stress that they are not profiting from fixed penalty or court fines. And all of this money goes into the Treasury's consolidated fund, not to them. But yes, that's a that's a tough one. So be careful on the A forty three people. Well, I have a, a few problems with that statement because they're saying they, they people change their driving behavior when they see mm. a marked police vehicle. So put out more marked police vehicles. You would think yes, yes, you would you would think so, wouldn't you? And okay, yes, fair enough to say we do immediately go, well, you're just doing this to make money. Mm-hmm. But that last bit at the end is totally unrelated. There is there is zero proof that one person's speed or doing excessive speed mm-hmm. past an unmarked thing mm-hmm. will cause that devastation. Stop mm-hmm. conflating things. Stop making. Stop using emotion, and start using facts. Well, quite. So, one of the parts, the one of the aims of the new scheme supposedly is to target those using the roads illegally and irresponsibly. So they're looking at careless driving as well as um, mobile phone use, not wearing seatbelt. Uh, as well as excessive How, speed. How's a, a camera van? I have no idea. Irresponsible I'm just repi- I am just I, no. I know what I know what you're doing, but I am article. asking the question in response to. The, in, I, I don't. I know you don't know the answer, but again, they are using words that sound right, mm. but what they are proposing, yes, doesn't necessarily tie no, with it. There is nothing that they're doing that will fix that. You could use machine learning to recognise whether or not someone is wearing a <laughs> wearing a seatbelt and and then and then flag it up, of course. <laughs> Sorry, that's. Oh, a, a, I'm a, glad a, we a, talked before we pressed record because I'm in I. a good enough mood not to have snapped at that. <laughs> so, um, so I've now forgotten. So somewhere else is doing that. It's Wales, isn't it? 
That's being done in Wales, isn't it? There's there's some over gantry Definitely. cameras which are which oh is it Devon? I knew it was somewhere equally draconian. Uh so yes, it's 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 Devon that's that's doing that particular yes. one. I wonder how that's working. Looking forward to sending a freedom of information uh request to say how many times did it give you false positives how much time did the human who was checking which was the important bit of that which i was glad to see there was a human involved in the, the yeah, whole system how many times did they reject tesla the stuff that they were given <laughs> yeah it'd be an interesting one to find out anyway as i said before nothing runs until the licensing runs out like a deer yes and this is good news particularly is, yes. if you're in america there has been, and we have mentioned it before over the years, uh, there has been a huge fight between John Deere, the farmer's man, uh, equipment manufacturer, mm. and farmers in America over a right to repair. Mm-hmm. John Deere only wanted or were only going to give permission for their equipment to be repaired in their own uh, repair Sorry, facilities the, let's just say the, the equipment the equipment they sold let's not yes. make it their equipment sorry so equipment yes. that the, they sold yes the john deere equipment that they sold or any john deere equipment mm-hmm. that someone had bought from whoever mm-hmm. had to be what john deere wanted was it had to be repaired in john deere's own repair facilities dotted mm-hmm. around the country Yes, or, or by their technicians. Yes, but not independents. No, no, not only by John farmers. Deere. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And what has happened is since 2015, 2014, something like that, something like that, the farmers have been campaigning against this and saying that's not fair. One, so many of them don't live near one of these mm-hmm. facilities uh, and can't afford for the equipment to go down and stay down for any length of time. Mm-hmm. And two hang on, you're going to rip us off. Mm -hmm. Both of which seem quite reasonable arguments. Yeah. Then John Deere brought in things like, oh yeah, but we don't want any, just any old person tampering with our software because they're very complex now, particularly on the tractors and the combine harvesters and that sort of stuff. We don't want people messing with software because that would be dangerous. And you can see that as an argument makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And we don't want, just any old person fiddling about with things <laughs> but sometimes you're working against a time scale they're, they're working against the elements sometimes you do need to just swap the battery and get on with it or just yeah tie something down and get on with it uh, and if you're not like because this was going to really very basic levels yeah uh, as well it was as simple as even down to just doing a straight you up you couldn't touch service. it you couldn't touch it it was it, you could you couldn't even like change the change the air filters and stuff that was no. basically the kind of level it was at and if you're in a particularly dusty spot certainly dusty field or something trying to take in the harvest before the rains come and all these kind of things <laughs> then you know you you need to sort of be able to just take it out give it a shake put a you know put a new filter in or whatever uh, and get on with it and and yeah. this was stopping that kind of that kind of stuff yeah. So what has happened now is there has been a memorandum of understanding between the American Farm Bureau Federation and John Deere and Company. Mm-hmm. This is not a legal document. This is more of a gentleman's agreement that neither side will be naughty and step mm-hmm. outside the bounds of this. 
we can hope that's what happens. <laughs> On one hand, it, it's a case of the farmers agree not to take the safety kit off it. Mm. And as a result, we we agree not to just shut stuff down. Yes. Particularly as a lot of things are being connected now. Uh, particularly, yes, you know, farming is is one of the areas where automated technology is really pushing boundaries and is mm-hmm. doing good stuff. Yeah, and uh, because it is a trapped environment. And there's, you know, there's Harry Metcalf has has videos on that and the auto steer in his tractor and stuff. He can stick to the tractors and the super the supercars, and we'll stick to the EV registration figures. Um, but so do, <laughs> yeah. Stay in your stay in your furrow, like, please. Yes. <laughs> um, so so yeah. So there are. He has at least one good video from a little while ago, all about this kind of stuff and and how it can sort of set up, map out the field, and just do its stuff. And that's really cool. Lots of this does have to remain safe. Yeah, and, and why we're mentioning it is not that we're turning into Farmers Weekly, but that this is being was being looked at in America by all manufacturers of all sorts of stuff, particularly the car industry, because if they could get the chance to not allow independents to repair their cars and they got a new, or not a new, but an increased revenue stream by mm. funneling everybody into their repair centres. Oh, yeah then they would be straight at it. And everyone has been watching this. This, so far, has been a textbook textbook case. This, this, depending on which way, however this ends up, when it eventually ends up, it's it's got uh, ongoing impact into your, into your cars, into your domestic appliances, into your computers, into just about everything. This is really important. Outside of automotive, Outside of agriculture, this is a really important case because everybody is sitting there and going, (laughs) if uh, John Deere win this, uh, hello, new revenue stream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I'm glad that they've reached this this agreement and I'm glad that it sounds sensible. Like you say, we won't mess with the safety stuff, but you don't shut us down remotely and mean that we can't actually use our, our, our equipment we've paid for or are paying for yes exactly a little bit of good news coming up to guilt minute sorry for move electric about the british startup teva is it teva or teva oh, we don't t-e-double-v-a you can decide how you're going to pronounce it because we ain't got a clue but they are going to be mass producing a seven and a half ton electric truck now i imagine quite a lot of it is based on an Iveco, judging by the cab but beyond that, they have uh, secured European Community whole vehicle type approval uh, for this truck. So it has been through all the tests, all the things. It is a totally proper legal truck that people mm. can buy or, or lease to use for deliveries. Now, this is a seventeen, the seven and a half ton truck. Um, they're also going to do a nineteen ton medium duty machine which could end up with a hydrogen fuel cell range extender type powertrain just kind of how hydrogen fuel cell vehicles work anyway that means that they're proper that means they've got certification that means it's very easy for the procurement departments at people like travis perkins royal mail uh, many of the other distribution companies to be able to say no this is a proper vehicle that they have done it properly Yep. with appropriate certification. It doesn't look, it just looks like a kind of 
it, it, it looks like a truck, frankly, mm. with a funny front on it, but it's a truck. And I think that that's great. I, I think that that will make them perhaps more acceptable to many more conservative small C companies and distribution companies because lots of it is stuff they're familiar with. It doesn't have to be X brand specific, you know, things like mirrors, yeah. wheels, tires, door handles. Dulls, dull stuff like that. Uh, idea of the seven and a half ton one, by the way, is to be uh, last mile, uh, short distance depot based distribution, which makes a lot of sense. And it can, it, they're saying it offers a range of up to 140 miles from 105 kilowatt hour battery. Um, and say, yeah, last mile and urban deliveries. Oh, I said, mentioned hydrogen range extender. They're hoping that later this year, the seven and a half tonner will be offered with hydrogen range extender, which will mean it can do 354 miles. And that's a fairly decent day's driving by anyone's account. Yep. Absolutely. I, Good stuff. I like the fact that this sounds like they've quietly got on with it and hmm. done it properly, which means they actually have a chance of being viable. Yeah, I mean, skipping the islands in the Caribbean and the electric jets probably helped. Yes, yes. <laughs> right, I think that is the end of the first part. It is, and because it's the end of the first part, that means it's Guilt Minute, that quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month and you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live and a quick moment to say hello to new patrons. Uh, it's lovely to have you with us. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. I can't hold my mug up because I'm not using that mug today. If you don't have any spare cash, and then we do completely understand, and you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thank you once again, uh, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everyone. Bit of uh, sad news, but felt a bit inevitable, to be honest. Mm. We are no longer going to cover the WRC. Mm. as has become increasingly apparent to us we are not able to give it the attention it deserves and needs for us to do it justice when we discuss it on the show yep so we are no longer going to produce a sort of half-baked segment we're not prepared to do that and we don't think that's fair on you the listeners mm -hmm. so we're going to can our our coverage of wrc uh, such as it was and recommend as we have done every time we've talked about it to yep. go follow Dirtfish, mm -hmm. go follow Colin Clark, and mm -hmm. also WRC Wings if you are into the more technical side of stuff as well. There are links in the show notes to all of those, uh, the three that I've just recommended. I'll still be watching it, I'll still be enjoying it, but I just haven't got the time to pour over the details as I want to in order to give a proper report back when, it, yeah. when, some, when an event's happened. Yep. Yep, sad one that, but yep. That brings to new new car news. It does. And again, whilst uh, whilst uh, there are people out on vehicular launches right at the moment, there's not the, the, the word from them just yet, but Mazda has released the new MX-30 REV plug-in hybrid. 
And what's special about the Mazda MX-30 REV plug-in hybrid is that it has a rotary engine. Yay! I'm enough of a masochist that I have owned a car with a rotary. I have owned the Mazda with a rotary engine. Drink. Um, when it worked, it was fantastic. Uh, I am all in favor of, of rotaries. I would happily own another one. I'd happily buy one new. But I think that this is kind of cool because the, the MX-30 is a nice car, but it did suffer quite badly for being quite a big car with quite a small range. And whilst the range was probably just fine for most people most of the time, it was short enough to have put people off quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, this will be poss- will be capable or is capable of 53 miles on electric power alone. The rotary engine and the 50-litre petrol tank, that's quite a big petrol tank, mean that it will have an overall range of more than 370 miles. The range of the EV uh, was only 124 miles. That's a bit of a... A bit of an improvement. UK delivery start in summer, and there will be a launch edition, which instead of costing about £31,250, uh, will be, well, it has many unique rotary inspired details, and it will be available for about £37,895. It's kind of cool. I quite like it. It's not hugely it does, quick, not to 62 and 9.1 seconds. I feel like this should have been the first option and then do the EV after. Yeah, I think so. But I know that well, all the Japanese companies have apparently seemingly been caught on the back foot when it comes to EVs. Mm. And some some stuff has had to be rushed out the door and mm-hmm. be a bit compromised as a result. Yes, you do wonder if this was the original flavour. This was what was this was what was meant to come first. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, and the fifty-three miles. It'd be interesting to know because I know some countries are, or in the EU particularly, is going to change its rules when it comes to mm. plug-in hybrids. That they need to drive a significant portion on EV only. If fifty-three miles is significant enough, because I'm sure I heard sixty, but I can't remember whether it was sixty miles or sixty kilometers. I've got it's 60 kilometers. Anyway, it means that if you're having it as a company vehicle, 8% benefit in kind is what it what it goes to. If you've got the EV, then you're just 2%. I think it's quite cool. Yeah. Oh, it's, by the way, it's a 830cc single rotor as opposed to the twin rotor, uh, 654cc. That can't be right. That's rubbish. Sorry, I would... Uh, somebody's somebody's not multiplied things by two uh, because of the twin rotor unit in the RX-8 was 1.3 litres and not 654cc as it says here. So I think it's one bigger rotor as opposed to two smaller rotors unlike the RX-8, which is good because that means there's only one rotor that can lose compression and not two. <laughs> I look forward to your sob stories on a single large rotor then rather than it's two right. sob it's stories on smaller ones. <laughs> it's dead either way. And if you make it past 32,000 miles before it needs its for before it needs its second engine, then you will because, because it'll be better on this cuff. <laughs> right. Let's, let's move away from that. I seriously, the would, I seriously would still consider buying that genuinely, despite, my rx8 woes in the past if you search on our website on the very first articles ever published 
um, under the blog bit was actually was a copy and paste of a forum post I'd made a couple of years before um, about my trials and tribulations with my RX-8. Yes, you can find that on our website if you want to know much more about that. And on to the designer's mood board. And this is the news that Lotus have promoted Matthew Hill to be head of interior design. Matthew was at the company a while ago, left to go to Aston Martin and Ford Advanced, and then came back again in 2020. And he was uh, leading the team that did the interior for the Lotus Electra. Is it Electra? Is that how we pronounce it? I can't remember. I think that's as good as it gets their new uh, SUV that's coming out. Uh, He's going to answer to Ben Payne, who's the chief creative officer. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is uh, great because now, as Alan was saying earlier to me before we pressed record, Lotus now have interiors, which is a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, they do. They do. So good luck to Matthew and the team there, because it, it really does look exciting what's happening at Lotus in, in Hethel. At the moment. Lots of cool stuff. Really cool stuff. Lunchtime read then. Lunchtime read today, uh, this week even, it is a story from Drew Smith on the Studio Fro, and it's all about robots. And it's actually titled Cultural Lenses on Robots, or... Why the BMW iVision D freaks some of us out. And I think that this is a really interesting uh, thing. One of the things we didn't actually talk about last week was that the iVision D includes D, who is a virtual personal assistant. Uh, and this article talks about talks about how some of us have issues with that kind of thing. We're just not used to it. We find it a bit weird and disembodied. Whereas other cultures, particularly those you know towards the far edge of Asia, are quite happy with that kind of thing and, and quite enjoy interacting uh, with these kind of virtual personal assistants. It is a really interesting article about these kind of things and just attitudes to it. And yeah, absolutely, because it was an interesting. It was a. It was a perspective I hadn't considered because mm. I wasn't aware of how comfortable uh, Southeast Asia cultures are with uh, an assist. You know, robotics, mm. digital assistants, non-humanoid assistants whether yeah. that's mechanical or um, voice and, you know, helping out other things like that. And, you know, really giving us a kick that we're not the most important or re- mm. a- another reminder, we're not always the most important area yeah. when it comes to these car manufacturers. Uh, and we have to adjust our perspective. It was a bit of a, it felt a little bit like the total perspective vortex. A little, it is a little bit of that. One of the things I found it, one of the most interesting lines I found in it was it's pointing out that even, yeah, it's, it's talking about the Neo's virtual personal assistant, which we talked about when it came out in 2019. It's pointing out that even Ford has done it. There's a virtual personal assistant for the Chinese market, Mustang Mahi, which no one, no one else gets just for China. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of cool. So really interesting article. Uh, just about that sort of stuff and cultural attitudes towards these virtual assistants. That was kind of cool. Yep. Mm. Great. As you would expect from one half of looking out. Yes. Andrew, list of the week, though. List of the week is the most recalled cars in Europe in 2022. 
Now, we need to have a couple of caveats before we start mm-hmm. this. Now, this is going to run through the brands that recalled the most and the number of vehicles it did. Um, I'm going to ask Alan which was the company that surprised him the most. Now, we have to remember this is all recalls, and many car companies voluntarily, before they become an issue that a legislative body has to step in, mm-hmm. recall cars themselves. By the very nature of it, it is a public thing that has to happen. What would be an interesting counter list to this is how many car companies were forced to make a recall <laughs> rather yeah. than voluntarily made the recall. But anyway, we, we can only work with what we've got. Mm. <laughs> On this list, Alan, come on, who, who surprised you the most? The difference is that it's kind of tricky for us because we do read all these things so often but i'm going to choose actually the one that's at number one which is mercedes-benz because i'm quite surprised that it was 39 recalls and 24 models and just the number of vehicles covered i mean a million examples of ml gl and r class uh 315 sprinter vans plus other recalls for c-class e-class g-class s-class etc six alone for the s-class so obviously many of these could be uh well could be voluntary i mean we know that at least one other company has been known to recall like seven vehicles in australia because it's missing stickers under the bonnet yes so you know you've got to take a pinch of salt but uh, as you said andrew these are not you know not all recalls are equal but i was just surprised at just the sheer number of manufactured vehicles that were covered just there yeah absolutely what about you well there are many are you surprised Uh, anything um, no i think i think for me bmw it's same same as you Mm. uh similar reasons they had eight recalls for 12 models Mm -hmm. um but it's it's not like it's the early 2000s, end of the 1990s, where the accountants got in charge of every car company and went, yeah. oh, we don't need design. We don't need individuality. We've got to have the same stuff. Let's pare down to the cheapest component, hang the quality. Mm. It's not that anymore. No. That's not being done because people don't, you know, did not accept that and mm-hmm. will not accept that. Plus then the accountants realized it cost them an awful lot more to bring all these cars back in and fix them properly. Yeah, that's you know, right first time and all that stuff. One of the things that is useful in this list, by the way, here we go, there's a little bit of consumer advice here, is if you go right to slide 32 of 32, there is a link to the DVLA website and and actually using the MOT checker will also help show you if there are any outstanding recalls on your car. Yep. That brings us, I think, to this week's and finally, uh, which is the amazing and mysterious Citroen DS taillights. Uh, so it's from the Autopian. It's by Jason Tuchinsky, so I'll let you just guess what the rest of it is like, really. But he's talking about the Citroen DS and how the the, the, the DS is is just both really cool and that the tail lights were as in his mind as interesting as as the rest. And he points out all the difference between the Slough UK built DSs and the French DSs. And it's more interesting than it should be, all right? 
It genuinely <laughs> is. It is. I, I'm not going to even explain it anymore because it's more interesting than you think it should be. And you get to see lots of pretty sketches and pictures of the wonderful DS. And the difference between late DS and early DS and all sorts of things like that. And the many different taillight styles that there were. Yeah. Great, great article. Could have, <laughs> could have been a lunchtime read. It really, it could have been. It was almost a lunchtime read, but uh, we had a lunch. We had a really good lunchtime read and we needed an and finally. So it's kind of like a sneaky second. Lightweight lunchtime read. Or something like that. Any parish notes this week? Not that I can think of. No, no, me neither. Me neither. Uh, So that takes us to to the end, basically. Uh, Don't forget, everyone, that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback. Share your thoughts to the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page at motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities uh, remember you can support us financially via patreon and please leave a review and rating on apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing andrew what's the best way to get in touch with you best way to get in touch with me is via twitter if you search for crack windscreen you should find me there and if you are on mastodon or newly to mastodon and you haven't followed me yet or found me because that can be a bit tricky have a look in my twitter profile and you will see the address of my mastodon account there Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally and um, actually run through you using the American accent to describe being a farmer, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, To get in touch with me, it's best to use Twitter or Mastodon, where I'm at AJP Bradley in both cases. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y for those of you who miss whenever I, whenever I, I forget that. We'll be back very soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.